One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm going to attempt to start in Italian. Ciao a tutti and uh, welcome to a new season, uh, sort of. We still haven't quite finished the previous season, but anyway, this is a new season <laughs> of, well, I'm calling it Past Apocalypse uh, or Pastor Apocalypse. Um, we're focusing on the post-apocalyptic films of Italian cinema. However, I'm stretching the definition slightly with this first film. <laughs> a little bit. Which comes in a good 20 years earlier than all the rest. But uh, I thought it was kind of a good place to start. And uh, also, I couldn't fit it into our last sci-fi season because that one was Italians in Space. And so <laughs> this sci-fi season is very much about Italians on Earth mm -hmm. uh, in some kind of future where it's not necessarily that there's been an apocalypse because a, a few of the films we're going to do they're not all set in a nuclear wasteland um it's more kind of dystopian future i suppose yeah so yeah. This, this definitely fits into the dystopian yeah. world so and, it's know. a kind of dystopian season of films where the future hasn't really worked out all that well uh which let's be honest i think is pretty much all films set in the future in <laughs> just in general <laughs> There are very few where the future is great. This is true. Um, There's a, there is a, a, there are a few films you could point to where the the there 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 are minor differences between current day and the future being depicted, and those minor differences are where the where are where the, the 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 focus becomes because it's more of a question of you know how do things it's it's always a question of how do things that we see in modern day. Uh, what are the possibilities of them continuing on into the future? What would it look like? And so, if it's a small yeah. thing, you're, you're obviously trying to focus on something, something that you that you fear that uh, is possibly rather small today, but may grow in the future. But it's that's the joy of science fiction is it's very malleable. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, so, I I still haven't done this yet. I need to do a new remix of our, our theme tune. So, oh. I mean, how what would what for you is the sound of dystopian future 
Italian oh. style. Well, it's something. It, it, it's it's a synthesizer that's attempting to sound like a theremin, but somehow they couldn't quite nail down the theremin sound, and so it's even stranger. <laughs> essentially, okay. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> I'm, I think I need a few pew 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 pews. Oh, de- oh, oh, definitely the uh, yeah. the the uh, handheld weapon that makes a sound that is yeah. not quite a gun. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll throw a few pew pews in. Uh, see what I can do this afternoon. Um, yeah, so uh, just in terms of news, I'm just going to remind everybody because I just I had I finally actually got round to having a look, and if you go to malombrafilms.com you can now order the Blu-ray of The Sex of Angels on their website. So I think last time I said you had to do it through Facebook, and mm. but I was I was just not really doing my research. So anyway, it's available to pre-order on their website, and it does list in the extras that uh, there is a commentary track by the two of us, so it is official. Oh, and, and I guess so, we should... Uh, I, hate, I hate to complicate things, but we should probably say our names. Yeah, so it says there is a commentary track... By Adrian Smith and Rod Barnett. Correct. Ah, there we go. Uh, so we're, we, we we've identified ourselves at the top yeah. of the show. We're we're normal podcasters. We swear. Oh, you know, I always forget to do that. Yeah, in fact, I haven't even welcomed you. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Let's start again. Let's just ignore this previous five minutes. It Hi, everybody. Nothing. Welcome to the show. My name is Adrian Smith, and I would like to welcome the uh, co-host of choice, Rod Barnett. Hello, Adrian. How are you Hi. doing today? Good. I don't know if I've got to say all that other stuff again now. Let's just take nah. that as read. We could you, you could just move it around <laughs> in the edit or leave it the way it is I and could. have, have people just... think of us as what we are. Yeah, amateurs. Well, <laughs> uh, one amateur and one podcast professional, which of course, but it's the amateur doing the editing on this one. That's that, that's quite all right. And trust me, I I don't know I don't know if you know what thirteen years of doing this paints me as some kind of professional, but it does paint me as someone wow. with a lot of experience. That's about as far as I'm willing to go. Yeah, thirteen years. Uh, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, um, yeah. It is it has been um it has been thirteen years. The first first show I uh the fir- first podcast I created was the very first episode of the Nashi cast and it came out in uh late January or early February of twenty ten. So yeah. Yeah. Well, when people didn't even know what podcasts really were. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, the, the 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 inspiration for me was other podcasts, but I was aware at the time that almost no one knew what the hell I was talking yeah. about. So, <laughs> yes. Whereas now, uh, you can't uh, move without bumping into somebody who's got their own podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, here we are. So, yeah, future dystopian Italian cinema. And we are starting with probably, uh, well, it's certainly one of the most significant early dystopian future films. I don't think it's necessarily the first, but, um, or maybe it is. I don't know. Anyway. From the Italians, it might be. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, certainly not in t- necessarily in terms of all of cinema, but... Um, would we would we count Alphaville as a dystopian? Well, film? that is a great question, and so I'll get to it later on. But I've got some reviews of this film when it from when it came out, and it is compared with Alphaville. In fact, when I was rewatching this, I was thinking of Alphaville a lot, uh, which because it came out the same year. So this, of course, yeah. is the tenth victim, la decima victima.
and uh, by Elio Petri. And so, yeah, 1965, it's right in the middle of the uh, pop art explosion. And boy, if ever a film could be described as being a pop art film, it's this one. Certainly, yes. It's just fabulous to watch, isn't it? Like, you just, your eyes are just being blasted all the way through the film with amazing colours and funky art and well, plastic and those, uncomfortable looking furniture yeah yeah the the uh, it's often it's it's also often kind of amazing to revisit what the the people of the 1960s especially the the filmmakers thought the future was going to look like now you know we're we're still not there but the the the, the spare rooms the 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 uh the, the uh you know identifiable but definitely odd furniture and yeah uh, wall hangings and uh, ex- you know expressions of personal interest around different things. It's um, and, yeah, it's really amazing. I love mm-hmm. the giant blinking eye in the background yeah. of uh, Marcello's house, and it, it's it, just it, there for no reason. It's just there. Well, that's just it. I, I kept <laughs> thinking that some of these things are uh, seem to be just kind of visual uh, visual references to classic dystopians. Uh, literature of different types the yeah. that eye seems to just it just made it put me in mind of big brother from 1984 sure. and yeah. and you know other kinds of things like that but there's a there's a lot of that kind of stuff in this movie and uh i was i was i was interested in how effectively it it does that without ever drawing attention to it because it 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 this thing is 90 minutes long and and i've seen a lot of complaints from contemporary reviews about it about it not about it about it flagging about it's you know yeah. basically questioning its its ability to keep up its pace and i was just like i don't know if it's just me but i was constantly you know my eyes were darting around the screen at all times even when action isn't happening so i don't yeah. know oh it's great it's like uh it's like spending an hour and a half in a museum of modern art mm-hmm. uh, whilst also at the same time watching a travel log about ancient rome on your phone Oh, I know. Dude, done by done it, by helicopter. Those that, yeah. that helicopter view of Rome in uh, the mid '60s was that that that's quite an that's quite an interesting thing to have in in yeah. uh, on film, regardless of what you think of the film that you're watching. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned Alphaville because obviously in that film he he just shoots it in contemporary Paris, but says, right. "Yeah, this is the future, and we're on another planet." And he somehow, you know, Godard makes Paris seem kind of strangely sci-fi without really doing very much and it's quite similar here that even when they're out and about in regular streets in um new york or rome it they still manage to give it that sort of sci-fi element so you still do feel like this could be the future even though they're driving basically 60s cars (laughs) uh some odd looking 60s cars at times yes yeah and obviously i guess the clothing is rather the the costumes are fantastic also yes. giving marcello mastrioni uh bleached hair adds a kind of sci-fi edge to it i think definitely gives him a different look and i do yeah. like that in the dialogue they they have one of the women in the film register clearly that that he's peroxided his hair i like that <laughs> yeah oh it's so good um so where should we start suppose before we get into the plot I have to make a confession again. Like I'm so inexperienced with a lot of this stuff that I have not seen any of Elio Petri's other films. But he's oh. oh no, wait, no, I tell a lie. I've seen one of his other films. Which one um, have you seen? 
I've seen the, uh, is it called A Quiet Place in the Country? Yes, excellent movie. With uh, Franco Nero. And Vanessa Redgrave. Uh, and Vanessa Redgrave, so yeah, sorry. I do know that film, and that was really entertaining. Um, I, well, I have I to do... admit, I only know two, and that is one of them. Um, right. I, because of the uh, the heavy award status of the film that he did right after A Quiet Place in the Country, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion, I saw it years yeah. ago, and it is a fantastic film. Yeah, and no, I did recently buy that, but I still haven't watched it. So, <laughs> uh, you, you, like, you've got a you've got a treat in front of you. It's good. Yeah, I also do own the Blu-ray that Arrow put out years ago of his first film. I think it was Lassassino. Uh, See, I've, the, ne- I've the never killer. seen that. Yeah, no, I still haven't watched it. It's sitting on my shelf, so I'm very uh, neglectful. And also, his I mean, he's made a lot of movies. Um, his film, The Working Class Goes to Heaven, just recently got a release here in the uk by a new company called radiance films yeah uh which is run by the guy who used to work for arrow and now he's got his own new company so it seems like elio petri is getting more and more stuff out there and, and more recognition but yeah he's made a lot of films and he, i'm very uh yeah inexperienced sadly so i do need to watch especially like you said the uh investigation of a Oh, I've already forgot what it's called. Oh, oh, investigation <laughs> of a Citizen Above Suspicion. Citizen it's very good. Suspicion. <laughs> uh, well, the, the, yes. thing, the, the thing about that is, and we, we'll talk a little bit about this as we talk about this particular film. Uh, I have to say uh, the, 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 the intentional jibes, the, the, in this film, in Tenth Victim, you might talk about it as satire, maybe, but in uh, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion, we're definitely talking about harsh commentary about the society in which uh, the story yeah. takes place. And it yeah. also makes me really curious. There's one of his films that I've wanted to see for a while uh, because I've heard some people recommend it highly, but I've never been able to catch a copy of it in English anywhere uh, called We Ki- We Still Kill the Old Way. Oh, from, yeah. Uh, just the, reading the description of it, I'm thinking, well, first of all, I love the cast, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, that really sounds interesting, and it seems yeah. like another, you know, it involves the mafia, the church, and corrupt politicians, and so there's a there's a part of me that goes, well, it's definitely the kind of film that this director likes to make, so yes. I'm, I'm very curious about that one, so there's, hopefully uh, I'll get around a, to it. There's a gangster movie that came out over here a couple of years ago, produced by Jonathan, Soth, uh, Jonathan Sothcott, who's the guy that used to write all the Hammer books and stuff christopher lee books and now he produces gangster movies and he did one called we still kill the old way but i'm i'm assuming it's probably just the title and not necessarily a remake but uh now when you yeah that's another one i'm not i haven't seen when you mentioned the film of his you really wanted to see i assumed you were going to say nudie per vivere uh, <laughs> i wouldn't be against that one either yeah otherwise i think that translates as naked for life or something along those lines naked lives oh, i don't know I'm just doing that off the top of my head. Uh, I think, yeah, Naked which I, for Life seems right. Yeah. Which seems to be some sort of exploration of uh, Parisian nightclubs. Yeah, it's uh, a documentary, apparently. Okay. So uh, it could be interesting. Yeah. Has, has, apparently it has Chet Baker in it. So so there you go. Yeah, It's like one of those uh, sort of Mondo period, I guess. Oh, and it involves anyway. Julio, Ke- Julio Questi as one of the directors there as well. There you go. See, even if it's just about naked dancing in a nightclub, it's still got... Uh, some points of interest <laughs> uh but anyway yeah so early petri is you know, very well established uh from what i can tell he's quite, quite left wing is that fair to say and his he's very critical of that's politics that, yeah. and 
that definitely uh, seems society to be and, right right and that, that's where i think we can use that as a jumping off point yes from what i can tell he was very very much critical of um the the right and the the uh, the established authorities especially within his home country as you might expect yeah. and uh, at the time he was making movies 60s and 70s um one might one, one might understand very easily why a leftist perspective is one that uh he would espouse because boy there was it was it was a rough period of time we've talked about the 70s as you know the years of lead and yeah. the uh so that that whole that whole period of time having someone make uh films critical of society in general from a leftist perspective is not that much of a shock i mean there were even some some fantastic spaghetti westerns that took that tack as well where it's obvious that they're commenting on modern day politics when you know in the guise of uh, a western scenario so yeah yeah and i guess to to in case we weren't sure there is a scene quite early in the film where he blows up a nazi with it with explosive uh boots <laughs> yes <laughs> which like, is quite do you have any questions sir we're establishing yeah. <laughs> this right at the beginning so yeah oh it's great so um the the main cast we've got marcello mastriani who is sort of italian cinema royalty Yes, I think it's fair to say. Um, just so many films. I mean, a lot of people make comparisons in the reviews that I was reading. They talk about this film having a connection with La Dolce Vita, hmm. um, and I and I was thinking about that, and I think that's kind of interesting because La Dolce Vita, obviously, in that film as well, he also goes by his name Marcello, which he right. does in this film. So it uses his own first name. And he's also a guy in La Dolce Vita. He's basically kind of suffering early um, midlife ennui, kind of midlife crisis, and just drifting from thing to thing with not not really knowing what he wants out of life and just being fed up of life and all that. And it, that's quite similar to how he acts, how his character is in this film. He's like he's kind of not. He doesn't. He seems to spend most of the time not really being all that bothered. Life is going wrong. And he's just so kind of, yeah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, it's he quite seems to, have, especially in this film, his character seems to have reached a point where he's, he's, he's kind of accepting the things that are not going well in his life because yeah. he can't really see a path where he can fix them. So yeah, yeah. So he's just sort of yeah, he's just sort of whatever. Again, an, another actor who's made loads of, of classic films many of which I've never seen. I have seen him in a few other movies, but do you have any particular favorites? Is he an actor that you've watched much of? I have to say that uh, I've not seen the vast majority of his films, which is a real well shame. Known. Of course, what There's I came... <laughs> yeah, I know. Who could, who could at this point? There's yeah. so many of them. But I have to say that I always identify him with that character that he played in Eight and a Half for Fellini. Oh, yeah, okay. Where... Um, it's as I get older, uh, I very much find it easy to identify with that character's uh, juggling act uh, that he's that he's going through in that film as he is attempting to figure out what in the hell he's doing. Yeah. The, uh, the, the 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 joy of realizing that you know basically having that character center so many thoughts that as as i entered as i entered middle age seemed so natural um mm -hmm. 
uh, and to have him as kind of a, a, a go-to for referencing, well, you know, not, you know, everybody kind of feels this way. Everybody feels like they're pulled in a million different directions. They don't have the answers to any of this. And they're just trying to, to, to stave off disaster at every point and get something, get something done, even if they're just trying to, to fool everyone into thinking they know, they're no, they know what they're doing. So I always yeah. associate him with that. And so it's not much of a stretch as far as I'm concerned to see him. It's almost like the, a very similar character here where he has reached that point where he's, you know, laying in bed looking at the television as the, as the furniture is being repossessed around him. And he yeah. just asks the people, hey, look, do me a favor and take the television last because I'm trying to watch this. Okay. <laughs> oh, they take away all his comic books. Oh, I know. I know. He's he's a comic book fanatic. And he yeah. and uh, they're, they're, I love this in this future, you know, this 20, this future 21st century time period. These are called classics. And I'm like. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We're, we're we're there with that. That's true. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's so much about this future that's just come true already. Uh-huh. <laughs> but there's a, I've got a quote here. I'm looking at the, um, the Matt Blake sci-fi book that we used last time, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a quotation where um, Elia Petri gave an interview as they were talking about the production of the film, and he said uh, it's a story set in the future. Men and women are much like they are now, even if they're dressed differently. Their cars are electric, and they live in automated houses which, sensible to the most subtle telepathic influences, spontaneously adapt themselves to the moods of their inhabitants. I mean, we're kind of there, aren't we? Sort of. Smart houses, you know, Alexa. Yeah. yeah. Smart houses, electric cars. Uh, and, you know, they are developing technology that you know, like the alexa that or you're even on your phones that can automatically sort of tell what mood you're in and yeah yeah so we're kind of there it's interesting yeah one of the the machado mastrani film that i really like is called adua e la campagna known in english as hungry for love mm. um which is about a group of prostitutes who when there, there was a law enacted in italy that made brothels illegal and so this group of prostitutes go into the country and open up a restaurant um, which initially is supposed to be a front for c- continuing their brothel activities, but they actually start to discover that they really like running a restaurant. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a really great film, and he's in that as well. That's one that I wrote about in my uh, in my research several years ago because of its UK release. So uh, yeah, that's one that I really like. But yeah, he's just he, he you know he's like uh, he's he's through Italian cinema like a stick of rock. This guy, uh, really amazing. <laughs> And I did actually, I went to his grave a couple of years ago when I was in Italy, in Rome. I found a, there's a kind of, there's a big cemetery and you can get a map of all the celebrities that are buried there. And I did actually find him. And it's, uh, considering his sort of importance and fame, it's actually very understated. Uh, It's quite small. But anyway, yeah, he's great. We've also got, of course, Ursula Andress, who I think she made this the same year that she made She. I think so. Yeah. But so she was doing. Obviously, she's uh, she's Swedish, right? Mm-hmm. I believe. But uh, as after doing James Bond, she mostly seemed to do European European film. That's what she sort of seems to have spent most of her time doing. Yeah, I think uh, that was where she was most comfortable. Yeah, she did. She, she did do the occasional. I mean, she did a. You know, she was in an Elvis movie and okay. uh, a western with Dean Martin and uh, you know a few members of the Rat Pack and stuff like that. But yeah, I think that a lot of a, a lot of her films were made in Europe. I think that that just maybe where she was more comfortable. So. Yeah. 
one of my favorites is Slave of the Cannibal God. Yeah, yeah. That was I have to admit that was the film. second movie. That was the second movie I ever saw her in after Doctor Who. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I am a trash amazing. fanatic. Let's be honest. So hey, there's no yeah. I think oh wait it's a minute, fine. no. No, I saw her in Clash of the Titans in the theater. What am I saying? Yeah, that's probably the film I saw her in before Doctor No, because I would have been about five years old when Clash of the Titans came out. Yeah. So that's most likely the film that I would have seen her in first. But yeah, obviously she's done a lot of sort of cult film. Uh, like there's that one where she plays a nurse. I think that's Italian as well, isn't it? What do you mean the sensual nurse? Yeah, she's like a sexy nurse. I don't know. Anyway, she's great and... Uh, obviously just sort of iconic yes uh well i have to admit though she does have you seen i mean i mean have you seen a lot of her movies because i gotta be honest this is the first movie of hers that i've seen where i where she's you know she's centered she's the she's the co-lead and this is the first movie i've seen of her where i felt like whoa man this is maybe i need to pay more attention to the movies where she had a large role because she's perfectly cast here because there's a there's always a certain not that she couldn't be, not that she couldn't present as warm in a characterization on screen, but there's, she's really, really comfortable in that that icy blonde kind of of, uh, of presentation of herself, yeah. and uh, that is definitely what she is here uh, until, and, and it and it helps because we we have the confusion of whether or not she's being honest at certain points. Yeah, with oh, her I, I gave up, I gave up trying to figure that out by the end. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, because until until the credits roll, we're not going to know. Yeah, you're dead. No, you're dead. I love you. No, I'm going to kill you. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, well, I love the fact that she, you know, it may be that she she did love him, but was going to kill him anyway. But who knows? Yeah, you know. I know. Yeah, uh, yeah. She's fab, and also perhaps in a sort of supporting role. She's only in about two or three scenes, but it's worth mentioning Elsa Martinelli. Yes, because yes. of her her significance in cult Italian cinema. Uh, do you have a uh, particular favorite film that you've seen her in? Oh my goodness. I hadn't even thought about Is that. Is that hard, I mean, too hard to ask? I mean, well, I that's she's, just it. She was in so many, I've seen her in a lot so many stuff. freaking movies. I mean, I think yeah. she was fantastic. I have to admit, I think the first film I ever saw her in as a very young boy was, uh, the John Wayne film, Hattari. Which, oh, okay. Yeah. And she's, yeah. She, she's she's a she's great in that but at the same time she's literally the only woman in the cast right so <laughs> unless, unless you count to, the animals you know quite, <laughs> quite easy to notice um i mean you many people would be familiar with her i guess from one on top of the other yeah yeah uh the uh Fulci film um she did one of the oss 117 films Yes, which uh, I still haven't watched. I've got to do that. I don't think you know? I've seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. I've seen a few of those, but uh, but yeah, again, like um, Mastriani, she's just sort of ubiquitous for a good twenty, thirty years in Italian cinema. Knowing that she all... was in uh, Blood and Roses makes me want to go back and rewatch yeah, that because I haven't seen that in forever. Orson Welles' The Trial, she's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, just all kinds of stuff. So yeah, so she's perhaps one or the other and she's quite a fun character in this film as well she's basically just turning up complaining leaving <laughs> turning up again complaining getting angry on the phone she's got some quite sort of fun stuff to do i think in this film the last name i think we should probably mention just in terms of uh the, the cult cinema and the heritage of 
uh, well, this podcast, I guess, is the involvement of Ernesto Gastaldi, oh. who uh, who helped out with the script. So it's originally adapted from a short story, right? Which I think is American, called "The Seventh Victim" by Robert Sheckley. Yes, definitely. which I must confess, I've never read. Have you read that? No, I haven't read it. Uh, I uh, there. Uh, I know. Here's the horrible thing. It was adapted into uh, an old time, an old radio show called. Uh, oh. Uh, years and years ago, called. Uh, okay. uh, it's a, it was a science fiction um, anthology radio show called uh, X Minus One, and I know I've listened to it, but it has been years. <laughs> in which you'll live in a million, could be years, on a thousand, maybe, worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X minus one. And, of course, the changes made for... Um, you know, because it was called the seventh victim, and this is called the tenth victim. That's 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 a cosmetic change, but there are a number of other changes that are made to the story while keeping kind of the basic idea intact. And uh, I would recommend uh, reading Sheckley. Uh, I thought it was interesting that um, I mean, almost any Sheckley, honestly, he's he was a really good writer. But at the same time, the um, the uh, when, when this when this film came out. When this was adapt- when it was adapted for film, Sheckley published a novelization of the film that same oh. year. Uh, okay, and then after that, he followed uh, he followed up with two sequels uh, years later in 1987 and 1988, Hunt- uh, Victim Prime and and Hunter slash Victim. And so now I realize uh, I want to. I'm probably going to end yeah. up having to read those three those three books just out wow. of curiosity to see what he did with yeah. novelizing uh, the film at least. That would be cool. I have no idea. Um, yeah, so that uh, I'll look that radio show up if I if I remember. I'll tweet out a link if there's a it, you can find a radio. It, you can find it easily just googling X minus yeah. one or just googling the yeah yeah just radio you know radio show and the and the seventh victim you'll find it. Cool. Uh, yeah. So yes, yeah, so just Ernesto Gastaldi came in at the end to help with the so with getting the script going, and then they. Uh, they made the movie, so <laughs> obviously. So I've got a plot summary here, which we can have a go at. Which uh, this is quite a good one from uh, from Matt Blake. Although the, there's also a very good plot summary in Variety, um, and also the Monthly Film Bulletin, because it's like it did get a decent release. As far as I can tell, what I've now watched this with Italian language and subtitles, and also the English language track. I'm fairly sure it was shot primarily to be shown in English. Um, because that's what the the lips seemed to sync most of the time with the English track. Huh, that's interesting. I so about that. Uh, I think that may have helped with the uh, with the, the sort of way, the, the the release in the UK and the US. Although one review I read said that at times it flipped back to Italian and had subtitles. 
Now, the version I watched was is the version of the film that uh, is just streaming on uh, Tubi here in the United States. Okay. And uh, it's complete. It's in Italian with subtitles the oh, whole okay. time. I mean, there are a few moments, you know, just a couple of lines of dialogue here where somebody slips in and a, you know, a bit of, a, a piece of English dialogue, you know, just a, oh, little, a little thing here or there. But otherwise, it was right. in Italian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I I think uh, it looks to me like it was shot to be in English, which was obviously you know there was a lot of commercial Italian cinema that was shot to be spoken English first. Mm-hmm. I think. Anyway, so. The narrative is set in the 21st century when violence is legalised in the form of an elaborate game called The Big Hunt. Each hunter has to play ten rounds, five as a hunter, five as the hunted. And I think they alternate, so they take it in turns to be a hunter and the hunted. Right. Hunter, 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 hunted. Uh, the hunter knows everything about their victim and it's their job to track them down and kill them. The hunted knows nothing about the person on their trail, so they have to work out who it might be and dispose of them before they themselves are killed. The victor of each round wins a financial reward and the survivor of each game, so if you survive all ten uh, goes, uh, they get a million dollars and prestige around the world. Now this already sounds like a good concept for a reality TV show. I mean, apart from, not the actual killing, but, you know, Hunter and Hunted. Yeah. Somebody's got somebody's got to have done a show like that. I don't know. <laughs> there's a show here, there's a show here in the UK, I think it might be called The Hunted where they have a bunch of members of the public who've got to hide while a group of uh, scary ex-SAS guys like just search the country and try and track them down. Really? So, yeah. So that kind of thing is actually on TV over here. But, Interesting. But I like the idea of just one, yeah, one-on-one. And I think it's a, really, it's a good twist that the person who's being hunted doesn't know who their hunter is. Right. They've just got to figure it out before they die. And it seems like the hunters quite like to take their time. Oh, well, especially especially if they have, dis- have because they know they can take their time to a degree. There's they're they're constantly finding ways to make money off of this entire enterprise, yeah. which I thought was yet another uh, leftist yeah. stab at what this could obvi- <laughs> could obviously turn into. Yeah, and also some of the hunters that we see on screen are just really bad shots. There's a yes i i do i do, i did wonder just just how much training was in was was put yeah. in place for these people to actually become decent marksmen yeah yeah because the opening scene is in new york where uh we see a guy a guy we don't know who he is but he's chasing a woman through the streets of new york and he just keeps shooting at her and he's not getting anywhere close and she just kind of leads him and leads him and leads him until eventually they go into a club that uh, where he walks in and suddenly we're in a pop art universe. Mm-hmm. We're off. We're off the New York streets and we're in a club where it looks a little bit like they've walked into an Apple store because everything is white. <laughs> well, that's what um, the future is going to look like. Adrian. Yeah, don't you know that? But it turns out to be some kind of cabaret, and all of a sudden, this beautiful masked woman in a silver bikini is doing this cabaret show which just involves slapping the men that are watching her around the face. Uh, true, true. And, and them, them taking it with, uh, with uh, slight grins it. on their faces, yes. Yeah. Until she gets to the guy who was the hunter, and then she shoots him. And this, is, I think, is a quite an iconic image. Uh, <laughs> she shoots him. Stolen wholesale for Austin Powers, yes. 
yes. I was also wondering, do they do this in Dr. Goldfoot, or have I just confused that with Austin Powers? You know, I... I have, I can't, it's very possible, but I have to admit, I have yet to ever make it all the way through both of those movies. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know whether, yeah, the Goldfoot thing, uh, or if it's just Austin Powers rips off Goldfoot and this. But uh, yeah, it's such an iconic moment that the, um, I was going to mention the Blu-ray of this in the UK, which was put out about, might be about 10 years ago now by Shameless. It's got a really nice lenticular cover with Ursula Andress in her bikini and if you move it around it fires uh bullets at a guy on the front cover <laughs> she she's firing uh, they've done it so that she's firing at uh Marcello and uh yeah it's pretty funny that anyway. is funny so yeah so that's a good moment one thing that this film doesn't give us is any blood people are getting shot all the time but this is the kind of films a bit like old westerns where they just fall over and die yeah this is, um, yeah. It almost this seems is pre like the wild a, bunch. It's 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 yeah, definitely. It's it's almost uh, <laughs> as if the uh, the visual look would have been marred by having those splashes of red on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and although it, sometimes because it's so colorful, it would have like looked quite cool in this white Apple Store. Well, yeah, but it, but it also it, it would have looked interesting, you know, bright red. But at the same time, it also would have looked. Um, visually out of place you know yeah, because that's true. there's a early you know at a certain point there's a woman who gets shot on the steps of a building and she's dressed in yeah. a, she's in a white dress and it's yeah. like I, I it's almost as if they wanted to maintain that that white color against the the, the slightly different color of the steps uh instead of having yeah. a splash of red across it I, yeah it, it, that it bit's seems really an artistic good, she, choice it seems an artistic yeah. choice rather than anything else she runs up the steps towards Marcello because it's actually the headquarters. It's like the Italian, the Rome headquarters of the big hunt, mm-hmm. like Hunt HQ. Uh, and she's being chased by a hunter. Um, but then, she, yeah, she gets shot on the steps and then the hunter gets done by the police for uh, Ill- being illegally parked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's quite a lot of stuff where... Uh, because they're hunters and hunted, they can just kill people out in broad daylight, and all the passers-by are like totally fine with it. Well, it doesn't I, that seems very much like a commentary on society's acceptance of violence yeah. altogether? Because almost no one seems at all bothered by the fact that there are people running around very near them with guns shooting yeah. at other people. Yeah, there's a few times isn't there, where we just see that in the background. Yeah, like someone's walking along having a conversation, and behind them, two guys are shooting at each other. There's a bit in a restaurant on it, like this rooftop restaurant, where two guys come in and start chasing each other, and the the mater D just chases them out. And says, you know, no hunting on the no hunting in the premises. And yeah, that there was a sign posted. And the... Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so we get to Marcello, who we discover is one of the best hunters in the game mm-hmm. when he blows up a Nazi jockey. Uh, before he gets on his horse because he's put bombs in his boots and it's when he clicks his boots together in the not doing a Nazi salute that uh, he gets blown to bits. Hard, hard to not recognize the, the yeah. comment made there. So. <laughs> yeah, but he's becoming jaded with the whole thing. He's in financial mess because he's just gone through a very messy... Uh, well, they in the future, they don't get divorced. They just get their weddings annulled. Mm. And so I think it's taken years for this annulment to come through, but it's cost him 
well, as we find out later on, everything in his house gets taken as part of the annulment. And in this society, people seem to have been married multiple times as well. Yeah, so there's you one get character the who's he... apparently been married 30 times. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he says, I came here on my honeymoon with, uh, oh, which one was it? Was it my 11th wife? <laughs> like, wow. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Marcello is, you know, as I mentioned before, he's got this sort of ennui. And he knows that he's now the hunted, but he just has to hang around and wait because he doesn't know who it's going to be. It could take at least a few days because this is a worldwide game. So Ursula Andres, uh, she's based in New York. She's so she's supposed. I don't know if she's supposed to be American, but her name is Caroline, so she could be American. But she's got a. So he's got to wait for whoever it is to come to Italy and find him and all that. And he's just really fed up. He's got some contacts, some associates who help him with organizing stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, and he's got a he's got Elsa Martinelli who's playing the his new girlfriend who's waiting for him to get annulled so that he can, they can get married. Uh, meanwhile, so yes, yeah, so meanwhile, Caroline is on her way, but she gets approached by the Ming Tea Company and they've got a great idea, haven't they, Rod? Yes, yes. The idea of uh, you know finding a way to lure her intended victim to a particular place so they can have a very big television spectacular when she guns him down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that surprised me at first I'd forgotten because it's been a while since I watched the film you assume with this kind of thing where you know in the future murder is legal and it's the national sport and all that that it would already be being televised so I'd forgotten that actually this whole big hunt thing which they justify at some point in the film how this is this has stopped all wars if Hitler had played the big hunt you know that we would never have had World War Two. Mm-hmm. so this it's being used in the same way that we see later on with rollerball right in the future uh this kind of state sanctioned violence has got rid of all the other violence but then it's but it's not televised which i seems surprising to me so they the big deal here is that she's going to get sponsorship from main t and get it on television but i i just was surprised that it wasn't already on television. You know well, let's I mean? let's examine that for a minute because um, it, okay. it does seem as if what the the story is putting forth is the idea that simply having the ability to enlist in this game and participate in it is 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 a way of controlling the uh, the, the the more violent aspects of society. In other words, if you have those tendencies, you will channel it into you know playing this game and. Um, in a way, I can kind of see a simplified logic to it because if the people who feel the feel the uh, feel there is a well with a with an ease toward the idea of killing other people um, participate in this uh, one way or another, you're eliminating a good number of the shall we say uh, <laughs> uh, psychopaths, homicidal people in general. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I can understand a certain logic, right? And so yeah. the, uh, the the we never get a real sense of how many people worldwide participate in this uh, sport. Can we, do we call it a sport? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, but it, if if it is a large number, and it does seem as the movie goes on that it's fairly common to be out in public places and to see people engaged in this. Yeah. So it's I, kind of like uh, it's kind of like LARPing. It's like live action role play. Yeah, they're just yeah. with they're, with they're live playing rounds, video yeah. games. Yeah, <laughs> video games in real life with live rounds and just 
in and amongst the uh, the general public but they, the public are always very pleased at like at the uh, at the horse uh, racing event when he kills the Nazi and you hear the commentator say oh and ladies and gentlemen it's just been confirmed that uh, a hunter has just killed his victim at our event today and everyone's like yeah woo <laughs> so yeah. it's uh, <laughs> so they're, they're they are they're sort of celebrities to a point but not me mass media celebrities because mostly what they're doing is not being televised but anyway this great idea for her 10th because this is her as the title suggests he will be her 10th victim or i don't know i don't quite that doesn't quite add up because they do five of each so well, yeah one, but if you survive a, if you survive 10 game. that means that you've killed 10 people so. yeah oh that's good point yes whether you're hunter or hunted yeah because you can kill your hunter mm-hmm. so yeah that's very right I'd, I'd forgotten the rules of the game already that's very good <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so she's got him and they've suggested that she goes and does this and they go to rome and we've got this great helicopter footage flying around rome and they decide initially they think about using the uh coliseum but then they see it and they're like oh we can't do it in there it's full of holes yep so they settle for the temple of venus which is just next door to the coliseum and we get some great shots of the coliseum the temple of venus and it, all the buildings that you can see sort of next to the temple of venus which is the palatine hill and the forum all the kind of classic roman buildings there's uh, nero's palace up there and there's like triumphal arches and you can just see all that stuff in the background and um, I'm pretty sure that if you went and tried to shoot a film there today where you're running around and shooting and setting off squibs, you probably wouldn't be allowed. But there's moments later on in the film where they're just diving around in the ruins, shooting at each other, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, shows a slightly... It reminded me of, was it Heroin Busters, where there's oh, a yeah. big shootout at a Roman baths, this massive Roman ruin, and they're just riding motorbikes around it pretty sure they're a bit more careful these days probably but uh and the anyway. reason they're probably more careful these days is because of what they got away with in the yeah. 60s and 70s <laughs> exactly yeah exactly um there is a uh, is it john wick 2 there's a sequence in john wick 2 where he's in italy and there's a whole big shootout amongst some roman ruins yeah but i have this i have the suspicion that they may have faked up that do you uh, think yeah yeah quite a bit as a matter of yes. fact because i think that you're right yeah. that they would not have been allowed to to do some of the things that they do in those films around those uh you know those shall we say uh national treasures <laughs> yes that's very true oh funny enough just this is now completely unconnected but i'm looking on the imdb at the cast list for this film and there's uh the hunter who is fire who is shooting at uh caroline at the beginning of the film the actor's name apparently is george wang but the photo for george wang on the imdb is vincent price in dr goldfoot which means so George Wang that? was probably in that movie as well. Possibly. It just brings it all full circle. <laughs> but Because uh, I just saw it, I was like, hang on, that's not George Wang, that's Vincent Price, and it is. Uh, so anyway, so she now is in Rome, and she has numerous opportunities to kill him. She, in fact, she introduces herself to him, and this is where it all starts to get a bit weird. She introduces herself to him as some kind of TV presenter, right. and she wants to do an interview with him about the sex life of Italian men. And it has to be at the Temple of Venus at this certain time. And he's broke, so he's he, he's off, he's willing to do it if he gets paid, and she gives him an advance. And then they just start to play this kind of cat and mouse, will they, won't they 
uh, do they fancy each other or don't they game for about half the film and she meets uh, Elsa Martinelli who gets very jealous because she starts to think that this is this girl is going to push her out of the relationship mm-hmm. and she meets the ex-wife and there's just a whole section of the film where they're just kind of circling each other and are they going to snog or are they going to shoot each other or what? Yeah, because is he, he is definitely is he trying go? to figure out if you know, because he's still yeah. he, he he's aware someone is is coming for him, but he doesn't know who it is, and so he yeah he's concerned that it might be her. Because a, the thing <laughs> is, a lot of these a lot of these killers they do just ambush people because that's one of the safest ways to to win the game. Oh, yeah. And so what she's doing, you know, could be she could be the killer, she might not be the killer, but he doesn't know for sure. And so this is where I got okay confession time. I thought I had seen this movie in the past. It turns out that I had not. So I was, Ooh. yeah. So this is my first hey. time seeing this movie in twenty. Hey, fi- finally, finally, I've got one up on exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I was going to talk about that at the beginning, but we just we were talking about other things. But here's the th- here's the thing I, I find absolutely amazing about this is that I was completely unaware and just not ready for the fact that this film. Is while while being a larger satire of society and and the way in the way in which we treat and think about violence, it also is an incredible kind of dark look and an examination of love, you know, love and rom- romantic relationships, and it's equating yeah. this game to those, you know, to that idea to romantic relationships. And I kept thinking of the whole the whole idea of of frenemies or enemy you know enemies you know friends friends <laughs> slash enemies frenemies yes uh, and the 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 fact that once we get to a certain point in the story um, you know they're the, they're enemies and, and until there's a, th- a threat from an outsider or a, from an outside force and then they're they're kind of shoulder to so, shoulder to shoulder against yeah. these forces and that's when you know certain certain aspects of what they feel for each other start to be made clear. Yeah. And in the movie, well, I, we, I, we don't have to get specific about the movie's ending, but no. I, I am, I, I do love the fact that it does play out very much in the, uh, the, the, the standard, you know, stereotypical way in which two people, uh, would end up actually getting married. Uh, you know, this, yes. this whole, you know, the resistance and the desire to, to keep one's freedom versus, the 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 pull toward being actually in a in a in a relationship where you feel that you can trust the other person and so it's it's absolutely fascinating because that is not what I expected the story yeah. to turn into <laughs> and I yeah. do like that uh, I do love it and I do think that the idea holds up very well and it is a good parallel to the larger story being told but what I find is weird and I don't want to rush things here I'm sorry but I do find right. it weird that it is that aspect of the film sometimes that, that that in contemporary audiences that seem to kind of push them away from it because it wasn't it, it didn't seem to sit well with audiences at the time and I, I read some contemporary reviews at the time and they they felt that okay. that stuff you know that center part of the film before the the you know the, the third act kicks in kicks into violent gear yeah. that that they had problems with and it's one of the reasons why the film did not perform as well as the producer thought it would probably and that's that's really a shame because to me that is one of the most brilliant aspects of it i can see exactly what they were attempting to accomplish and Mm. at the same time see why someone might not you know might not want that to be part of the story that they're watching in a cinema you know 
Yeah, I suppose yeah, because you've got action in the the opening act and you've got action in the final act, mm -hmm. but then in that sort of middle section, yeah, well, there's not much action. Which I suppose if what if that's what you've come for, you might be disappointed. Yeah, but. I mean it is yeah, ostensibly the stalking section of the film, but at the yeah. same time, it's not just the stalk. It's not just stalking. It's where you're getting to know these these characters uh, better and, and see just how you know the circumstances of each of them is kind of leading them into a position where this just might be because he they emphasize that you know he's he's just he's turned 40 and that he's you know so he's essentially entering middle middle age and he's not sure what he wants to you know what what he wants to feel about any of this regardless of anything else and yeah. uh he it's 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 kind of fascinating i i i was not expecting it but i was glad oh, the film played out the way it did yeah Great, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to give too much more of the plot away. I will say, though, that so she's planned this televised thing, so he gets wind of this thanks to his assistants. So they decide to try and lure her to a place of their choosing, and they're going to televise him killing her instead. Exactly. But he's, he's got to be careful, because if he kills her and it turns out that she wasn't his hunter, he can go to prison for 30 years. Yep. <laughs> so you can't just go around killing people that you think might be your hunter, because there's a... You know, if it doesn't matter about the moral implication, it's just the fact that you will go to prison. So uh, he he's got this elaborate setup by in a swimming pool with a crocodile in it, <laughs> and they're going to launch. He's going to get her to sit in a chair, which then he presses a button, it sends somebody flying into the air, into the pool to get eaten by a crocodile, which uh, is going to look great on TV. Apparently, uh, this did remind. Did, oh no, what was going to say? Yes. I don't know if you noticed this, but there are some men carrying in a real live crocodile. It's not a pretend one. No, yeah. They carry a they carry a crocodile in and put it by the pool. I swear they are wearing the leather jackets from Planet of the Vampires. Oh, I do believe that's true. Yeah, I did. I did see a notation somewhere that those are costumes being reused. Oh, from okay. Planet of the yeah. Vampires, yeah. I was like, oh, look at those. Um, so yeah, so so yeah so that's why i mean yes yeah, so we've got this sort of circling he's got to figure out whether he can kill her she's trying to decide if she can get him to come along so she can kill him but is she falling in love with him or is it all part of the game yeah there's a lot going on there mm -hmm. it's a really fun film and it just looks fantastic um especially you know in hd bright popping colors there's one scene where she's wearing this this pink dress that just sort of your eyeballs feel like they might start melting because it's so bright uh, it's it's a, it is a pop art movie, like I said before. I, I really love it. Yep. Good. We're both oh, in yeah, agreement. Yeah, I think this this was like <laughs> I said. I was under the impression I'd already seen this. I'm so glad that I had not oh. because I wonder I wonder if I'd seen this in my twenties, what I would have thought of it versus what I think yeah. of it now. You know. Yeah. So uh, the idea of death games. This is something that would become part of. Uh, dystopian future sci-fi quite a lot going on does it all come back to this do you think is the seventh victim the story is it the kind of the godfather or the grandfather of things like rollerball and death race 2000 and battle royale and all that sort of stuff it's possible I, i'll say this i think that a lot of this grows out of the 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 idea of Put for you know put forth in the most dangerous game the whole that's that, true. that old story which you know of which there have been innumerable adaptations over the years and it is a first of all it's a, it's a fantastic concept and it is one that that is 
that's it, it's ripe for rediscovery and also ripe for reinterpretation and in almost infinite variations and so this it, it does it does reoccur a lot and it does it does uh i mean you know so so many films have direct connections to that idea that it gets kind of weird when you start <laughs> when you start delineating there are all these all these threads i mean when you get down to it i mean what um the uh oh darn it the um the uh futuristic uh roger corman uh uh, car race film a death race 2000, death race 2000. is yeah. is very much in the same vein you know it's very much yeah. the same kind of idea just you know with a lot of the details different but at the core that same concept and so there's a there's a an almost timelessness to the, to this you could almost you could set this i mean i've i've seen variations of this set up and taking place in uh in westerns i mean uh you could almost say that uh, sam raimi's western um uh, with uh, Sharon Stone and Ru- Russell Crowe and Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, whose name? Well, I'm blanking on the stinking name of the film. Anyway, you could almost say that that is a yeah. variation on this uh, to okay. a degree, although it, you know, the circumstances under which the violence takes place is different. There's, they're very, you know, there's very, it's very structured in that case, but it is a, it's, it's, it's always exciting, which is what's, which is anything that involves that kind of, you know, stalking and, and um, yeah. uh, potential for death uh, on the part of the participants is always really exciting. And it's this, this is, uh, I have to say what different, what differentiates this one from a lot of others, I think is that it's very obvious that this is being used. I mean, I keep hearing, I keep, I keep, hearing people refer to this as uh satiric and it's and it's like okay yeah. yeah i can see that but honestly this is a very pointed attack on uh the society of its time and the and the way in which it it reflects and infects romantic relationships and that to me sets this one apart not just be, you know obviously the pop art visuals set it apart it's yeah it's it, it's hard to find another film that tells this kind of story that's that that looks like this but it is those underlying themes the ideas where they're trying to draw a parallel between the uh the human the human instinct for violence and the human instinct for you know romantic relationships for love uh connecting the two of them in a way that um it it does bear a lot of uh scrutiny and it is a kind of disturbing idea to dig into. And I think that, once again, that may be another thing that kind of pushes people away from it, especially at the time. I think I think yeah. this film has aged very well because you know, contemporary reviews were middling. And uh, I think over the decades, the attitudes toward this movie have changed quite a bit. It's one of those movies that I think has become considered better than it was in its day. And yeah, That's not much of a shock. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Matt Blake compares it with the Poliziotesky films in terms of its sort of um, you know the look at the look at the way that violence is is enacted on the streets, and you know just sort of violence is accepted yeah. everywhere, um, just people running around shooting each other and nobody's bothered, uh, you know all that sort of thing is quite interesting, I think. Um, but yeah, so I, I did look at a couple of reviews and 
it says uh, in Variety, the Variety's review is generally quite positive. And then it just says at the end, weird, but very effective. And it also <laughs> it says, I like, it says, uh, the sound of tomorrow will apparently be predominantly electronic and progressive jazz. <laughs> True. Well, yeah, I'm, da- I'm down for that. True. Those, those two saxophonists wailing away inside that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really funny. That was really cool, actually. I was, yeah, I was enjoying just, that. Yeah. That was pretty funny. I also had a review here. Let's just have a look. So it was released in America in 1965, but it didn't come out here in the UK until 1968. So uh, the review I've got here, I've also got actually, it's by, it was distributed by Planet Films. And several years ago, I did actually pick up an original UK press book for this, which is quite exciting. Um, but they've really played down. It's weird. It's such a pop art, colourful film. And the press book is entirely brown. <laughs> so just even there's the picture on the front of her in her bikini it's a brown bikini well that's so weird. yeah they I don't were think I she wears think brown they, in the entire film i know they were just such a cheap distributor that they couldn't put any color into the uh press book but um the the, the monthly film bulletin review is quite generous it says there's much to like uh in here and it goes through all the detail they they particularly highlight the cinematography which is fab um, oh, we haven't even mentioned the sun worshipping hippies. There's that that was a big. I think because of by the time 1968 was you know was like at the 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 pinnacle of the hippie movement and its influence everywhere. So they pick up on that in the review and just sort of call them hippies. Which perhaps I don't know. Maybe in 1965 they wouldn't have been called hippies. Did that come later than that? I don't really know. You know, I'm not sure. I will say that I think that that's something we didn't talk about is that yeah. another shot, another shot across the bow is it yeah. is that sequence where it turns out that um, our lead male actor there, his character, uh, his main uh, source of income is that he has established a sun worshiping cult as a religion. Yeah. But he just he only does it to get paid. He doesn't believe it himself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, and... that is that is I mean, it's completely impossible to miss the the cynical uh the cynical attitude toward organized religion being presented yeah. there, which is amazing oh yeah the pope is american in this film yes they mentioned <laughs> but i like the fact that yeah you've got the sun worshipping hippies who are crying on the beach when the sun goes down meanwhile they're getting pelted with uh eggs and tomatoes by the moon worshippers who are <laughs> yes. who are just a bit further along the beach so yeah there's just there's a lot going on it reminded me a little bit of the final program yes which i know you're a big fan of mm-hmm. uh and i'm quite unfamiliar with the world of uh oh no his name's gone out of my head michael moorcock who's the michael moorcock or you mean the character uh, that would be jerry cornelius yeah no just the, the the author in general but uh i remember when i watched the film the final program there's some quite random stuff that just almost feels like they're just being weird <laughs> for the sake of being weird and it reminded me a little bit of that in places especially the whole sun worshiping thing i was like what did we did it was already kind of odd enough without that as well i was just saying that i think that what it adds to uh the character that uh you know that the 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 you know the man who's created this 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 religion uh, what it adds to things is is it adds to the idea of him being in a position at at the age of 40 that he's really unsure of what to do next he's unsure of himself anymore and we get that because of the uh, the conversation after the ceremony you know the 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 sun the the, the sundown ceremony where 
uh, you know, he's been crying just like all his all of all the other worshippers, and it and yeah. he confesses that he has to take a take a drug beforehand to to force the tears to come <laughs> out, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Well, there's it, also a great sequence where he goes to the gym, and it's run by I guess the guy who's trained him to be a hunter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like a, some kind of stunt school combined with with Q's headquarters in uh, <laughs> it's very true. James Bond. Well, see, that was a, that was another strange thing I hadn't thought about at the yeah. time. Anything that comes out in the 1970s was one way or another going to be... 60s. But it was, I'm sorry, yeah, it came out in the 1960s, was going to be referenced uh, as some kind of point toward the, the phenomena of James Bond. And, and that's how... Uh, <laughs> People who listen to uh, Troy and I going through the 1940s Universal Horror Films will recognize this name. I, I, the, the, the New York Times review of this film in, in uh, oh. December of 65, authored by Bosley Crowther, who... Uh, no way. Yeah, oh, yeah. good old Bosley. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know. He starts off the review by saying, <laughs> now it's Mar- uh, Marcello Mastroni who's going the James Bond route in an Italian film. Uh, and oh. so he, he goes on and he talks about the film a little bit and then he gets down to a point where uh, he, uh, being Bosley Crowther, he, he dislikes the film. So we get to this and he says, uh, 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 the decorative style is also built into the appearance and attitudes of the characters. Mr. Mastron Tony is a blonde-haired, impassive semi-automaton who is the high priest of a cult of sun worshippers and has a passion for old comic books. Miss Andrus is an icily metallic, stunningly gowned Amazon whose old-fashioned human impulses are ambiguously convi- combined, I mean, confined. But what it, but that is what's wrong with the picture. It is predominantly oh. decor that has a great deal of chic and shimmer in it. But feeling is ambiguously com- confined. Uh, the art director and cameraman deserve great, every bit as much credit as the director for the brilliant cinematic gadgetry and stunning colors and patterns in which it is photographed. However, the emotions of the drama are chilly and remote. What it actually delivered in this particularly super graphic film, super graphic, I guess he's talking about the, the way the film looks, is a, That's great. I like that. Is a clever but patently self-conscious intellectual exercise, much on the order of that which Jean-Luc Godard gave us recently in Alphaville. The cleverness, the cleverness is so insistent that it soon becomes excessive and absurd, and the gamesmanship of the satire becomes too cute, too much a bore. Uh, so wow. yeah, so that's why I think that you know, besides it being Bosley Crowther, and you know, if he likes a film, you've got to wonder if it sucks or not. Yeah. <laughs> the, the question becomes. <laughs> um, was was that you know was that kind of the feeling without being able to put it into words of a lot of viewers at the time that you know it it the 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 quote-unquote cleverness of the uh self-conscious intellectual exercise as he puts it uh becomes just kind of overwhelms any any entertainment value whereas i think as the film has aged it becomes much easier to see those things and to enjoy them organically yeah. the way they're built into the story. So I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I just find it amusingly amusing that Bosley Crowther was still around in 1965 to, 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 to badmouth this film. So yeah, 20 years later and he's still misunderstanding genre cinema. <laughs> that does seem to be, it, that should have been, you know, crocheted and hung on the wall and, you know, it put a needle yeah. point and framed on his wall at home. <laughs> No, I mean his review is is spot on. Apart from the fact that all of the he's listing all those things as bad things, right, right. Where whereas the fact that they're kind of icily uh, dispassionate is like one of the things that makes it good. Yeah, his so his his feeling really is the aesthetic choices being made to tell the story are <laughs> off putting, and for us they wow. are the opposite. So 
that's amazing so yes i i hope everybody uh who's listening i think will have got from this that we both like this film very much yes uh and i think it's a good start in this kind of dystopian view of the future care of uh italy uh there's much to like and it's available out there. Like you said, it's watched to what's going on called Tubi. Did you say yes. in America? T U B I. It's a streaming and platform. We've got we've got something over here. Maybe it's connected called Plex, which I've never looked at. But I think you, it's free on there as well. Apparently, yeah. So. We have Plex over here too. It's just that for, oh, okay. Tubi was the was the place I spotted it first, and I was like, okay, good, oh, right. good, good. Well, there you go. So it's so you can find it for free in a pretty decent quality picture. It's also if you're in the UK or if you just want to get it, it is available on Blu-ray mm-hmm. over here. So definitely worth picking up. Uh, and yeah, we'll we're going to jump forwards because I think there were, from what I can tell, just nobody was really doing dystopian future films between this and the late seventies. Oh, well, they they were, so, but I don't know about in Italy. No, well that's what I mean. Sorry, in Italy. So that's why we're jumping forwards to the late seventies. Uh, early 80s uh, for the rest of the season so we will be back in two or three weeks time as we'll start digging into uh, into some of the the more well-known of the past apocalypse uh, films so thank you everybody for listening to this one do get in touch with us let us know your favorite post-apocalypse films from italy uh, or or least favorite we'll probably be covering both ends of that spectrum across the season. I, I, I would say yes. There are there are many, <laughs> films, there are many the films in that particular subgenre that yeah. are both beloved well, I, and despised. Yes, I've picked ten films, and as and they're in chronological order. And as we get towards nineteen eighty four, it's really scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> it is a genre that burned itself out yeah. pretty hard. It very yes, it bur- it burned bright and quick. Uh, so thanks everybody. Uh, you can contact us. By email, uh, wildwildpodcast at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at the Wild Wild Pod. You can also find us on uh, and buy us a virtual coffee. That's uh, K O F I. The link is in the show notes. I'd like to thank Mike Tatino for your recent donation, as much appreciated. Yes. Uh, and when I've got enough, I'm going to, I think I'm going to start by paying somebody to do us a decent uh, logo. And then Ooh. we'll see what we can do with that, <laughs> rather than the one I just kind of made up on Photoshop. So well, anyway, so yes, if you want to donate, we very much appreciate that. And uh, yeah, let us know, like I said, what films you'd like us to cover in the season. And there's a good chance they're probably already on the list, but we'd still like to hear anyway. Uh, Rod, would you like to add anything else before we finish? Uh, no, uh, I, uh, pay, please pay attention to me over on the, the Bloody Pit. Uh, where yes. we're uh, uh, we're, uh, uh, we're we've just we've done a, an episode on the the uh, flesh and fantasy from the forties, and uh, I've got an episode coming up soon on a couple of machiste films. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark Maddox and I uh, talk about nice. a couple of the machiste films that are out on Blu-ray over here these uh, just recently. So, oh, great. Which ones? On oh, uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the English titles. Um, yeah. Son of Samson and okay. uh, Samson and the Seven Miracles of the World. Now, of course, okay. both of those are machiste <laughs> films where yeah. they try to pretend in 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 America in America and in probably in Britain that actually we're just going to call him Samson because of, <laughs> you English speaking no, people don't know machiste. who machiste is. So. Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. 
Yes, we don't talk about those films enough. And maybe if, if you and I are still doing this podcast in about another five years' time, we might get round to a peplum season. That'd be fun. Uh, those are, those, are, those like are a blast. To, yeah, I would like to do that. They're great fun. Anyway, thanks, everybody. Thank you again, Rod. And uh, hopefully... I'm now going to play you the. Well, you've already heard it at the beginning of the episode, this but I haven't made it yet. So let's pretend that I have made it and say, here we go. We'll be back soon. And now enjoy for the second time our uh, <laughs> remix theme tune. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.